The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Many of Jesus' disciples who were listening said, This saying is hard. Who can accept it? Since Jesus knew that his disciples were murmuring about this, he said to them, Does this shock you? What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life while the flesh is of no avail. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus knew from the beginning the ones who would not believe and the one who would betray him. And he said, For this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by my Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples returned to their former way of life and no longer accompanied him. Jesus then said to the twelve, Do you also want to leave? Simon Peter answered him, Master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. No one who knows anything about the Gospels would presume that Jesus' public life was um, all peaches and cream. You know, even apart from the horrors of the last days of his life in Jerusalem, really throughout his public life he had plenty of troubles. You know, he was always being faced with those um, kind of cranky Pharisees and those Sadducees and and scribes of the law and even the high priests of the time. And that must have been pretty daunting to face, you know, because here he is, he's teaching and preaching and, and the people about God and faith and all of that. And, and yet the very people who are sort of the arbiters of what is right and what is wrong when it comes to faith and belief in God and the teachings of the scriptures, they're all going, no, no, no. Must have been pretty awful, really. It wasn't peaches and cream, that's for sure. As hard as it was for Jesus, certainly, to face, you know, that constant, constant opposition, really, from the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all those other characters in the gospel, what must have been really devastating for him was that point where his own disciples say no to him. Imagine the sinking heart the feelings of, oh my God, not even you, that must have filled his, his mind and his soul when his own followers, when his own disciples said to him, this is altogether too much. This is a teaching we can't handle. You're pushing too far, Jesus. We're out of here. 
So how did he get to this point? In, in John's Gospel, the sixth chapter, it's where it really all happens. It starts with this extraordinary sign that he gives of multiplying the bread and, and the fish and feeding all of these people, giving them this new bread from heaven, this life in the form of, of a few little loaves of bread that are allow all kinds of people, thousands of people to, to eat and be nourished. It starts on this beautiful high point, this great sign of God's presence and care for his people. He nourishes them still as he did in the desert so long ago. And after that sign, Jesus begins to teach them and to explain to them what it all means, what just happened here. And as he does in John's Gospel, it's, it's, it's not just sort of a straight catechism class that he gives them. Rather, it's sort of a symphony of themes that he, he kind of twirls around and spins and they revolve around each other and intertwine. You know, I am the bread of life. It's, this is the new bread of life. This is the bread come down from heaven that feeds the soul, not just the body. And, and he goes even further. And at this point, the crowds are saying, we don't really get this. We don't really understand this. But it's the crowds, at least, who are kind of questioning and stepping back and saying, this teaching is altogether too much. And Jesus continues and says, you, I am the bread from heaven. You have to chew on me. You have to eat me. You have to drink of my blood. I am from God. And, and they're saying, this is really weird. This is not like what other prophets say. It's not like what other teachers say. It's not like what the rabbis say. This is beginning to sound really strange and weird and kind of, kind of creepy even. And Jesus bears on. And in the Gospel of John, again, it's, it's like various themes that he kind of wraps around and keeps going back to over and over again, each time getting deeper and deeper to the one kind of core spiritual teaching of John's gospel, really all the gospels, that this Jesus is of God, that this Jesus is the Son of God, this Jesus isn't just another Messiah, he's not just another king. He's not just another prophet. He's the bread of life. He himself is the bread of life come from God. He is the word made flesh. He is God made flesh. And this must be the point where his own disciples, the people who've been following him and have been awed at his signs and his miracles and his healings and his teachings up to this point, this must be the point where where they break and they say, no, this is sacrilegious. This is self-idolatry, Jesus. You can't make yourself equal to God. You can't make yourself, you're just a man. You can't make yourself the Son of God, the the very essence of God, the heart of God made flesh. You cannot make yourself God. And so, Jesus, you're just a man. You're a carpenter from Nazareth. Be a prophet, yes. Even be a Messiah, yes. We don't care. Save Israel. But don't make yourself God. That's too much. You've gone too far. And they walk away. We're not talking about the Pharisees here. We're not talking about the Sadducees. We're not talking about the high priest. 
We're not talking about the apathetic masses. We're talking about his own disciples, the people who've been walking with him and following him all the way from Nazareth and Capernaum and and going to these villages and and listening to him and learning from him and being delighted by, by his words up to this point being delighted by his signs, being delighted by his company, by his wisdom, by his humor, by his human touch. But he's gone too far. He's gone just too far for us. Even his disciples. You can't make yourself God. There's only one God. It's not you, Jesus. And so they walk away. They walk away. (laughs) You can almost feel the devastation in his heart as he watches his friends, his disciples, his townmates, perhaps even his own cousins, his own family, walk away because of his teachings following the great gift of the feeding of the multitude. I am the bread of life. Come down from heaven. I am the giver of the bread of life that allows you to live forever. The Father and I are one. Enough. We're out of here. And so it's at that point in utter sadness with failure almost assured of his great mission to Israel, that Jesus turns to his twelve and probably looks at them for a long time, sizes them up, looks in their eyes, tries to look in their eyes, they're probably all got their heads hanging low, and finally asks, and how about you? Is it too much for you too? Are you out of here? Are you going to walk away as well along with everyone else? And again, you can almost imagine the heavy silence that follows Jesus' question to Peter and Andrew and James and John and Judas even and all the others. The twelve. And finally, Peter, though his faith is wobbly, though he gets things so wrong so often, finally gets something right. Peter, because he has come to know Jesus, because he has felt known by Jesus, because he has experienced Jesus' love for him and felt his own heart go out to Jesus innumerable times in innumerable ways, because he indeed has experienced in that love and that friendship and that knowledge that he's shared with this guy from Nazareth, the very presence of God, the grace of God, the life of God, all of this is in his heart, it's not in his head. He doesn't have a theology of Jesus being the Son of God yet. All he has is his experience of Jesus, the real experience of Jesus who's loved him and known him and whom he has loved and known in return. And in whom he has experienced God like he's never experienced God before. Erupting from his heart, 
Peter finally says, To whom would we go? There's nobody else. We've given our hearts to you as you've given your heart to us. We, we cannot walk away. We don't understand either. We have a million questions still to be answered. We're still perplexed by everything you're saying. But we love you. And we know you love us. And you'll stand with us. And yes, we'll stand with you if it's only the twelve of us. Fine. Let the others go. For in you we've experienced God, and you we've experienced life, and you we've experienced love without end, and we cannot go anywhere else. There's no one else out there for us. Even our old lives, those are the old lives. We can't go back to them. And in saying that, who else could we go to? Peter really sets a very high bar, a new standard for what faith is for us. You know, we're all baptized. Most of us as little children, some of us a little later in life. (coughs) We all receive our sacraments. We all go to class and learn our catechism. We all take time, hopefully at least a little bit, to read the scriptures we come to church and hear at least proclaimed among us. But if push came to shove, would we walk like most of Jesus' disciples when things got really bad? When everyone else is saying, this is crazy, this is nuts. You're, You're nuts to be a Christian, you're nuts to be a Catholic, it's stupid. There's no God there, there's no Jesus. How could Jesus. If there is a God, how could Jesus be? His son. You know, the resurrection, it's all imagination. Or we just don't care. Maybe it is God, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But we're too busy doing other stuff. Could we walk away? Or would we have the experience of Jesus in our own hearts and our own lives that Peter had. Do we have that experience? This is what pushes Peter to make his profession of faith and his commitment to Jesus is his experience of Jesus as a real person, as someone who has known him and loved him and whom he knows and loves and in whom he has experienced the grace of God like nothing else in his life. Have we had that experience? Do we have that experience? Do we have that relationship with Jesus that would allow us, when push comes to shove, when everyone else is walking away, to say, Lord Jesus, to whom else could we go? You have the words of eternal life. You are the bread of life. You are the Son of God. You are the Word made flesh. And we've hitched our wagons to you, and we stay hitched through thick and thin, through troubles, through joys, through trials, through tribulations, through great moments of grace. When we understand and when we don't understand when our questions are left unanswered and when our questions are answered, when our prayers are left unanswered and when they're answered gloriously, you are the Son of Man, the Son of God, the bread of life. 
You are our love. You are our life. You are God in our midst. And we can go nowhere else. Let us pray that we might have Peter's faith, Peter's love, Peter's experience of the grace present in Jesus to say what Peter said this evening in one of the darkest moments of Jesus' life. Jesus, in spite of everything, we're with you.